joy to be with you, um, and uh, it's a delight. I'm normally here in the evening, so um, um, uh, it, it looks different in the daytime. Uh, Thank you. I am one of the missionaries that you prayed for and was prayed for just recently, and I am very, very grateful for your constant support as, as a church and a congregation. That's one of the reasons why, actually, one of the number of reasons why we're going to be looking at the book of Jonah today. And the, the other reason is that uh, David has asked me from time to time to come in, and I, I don't like coming in and just doing one thing and then picking up something else and picking up something else. I prefer to do a series. So if David does often, you know, ask me back at some point, then we'll be doing next bit of Jonah, and then we'll be doing the next bit of Jonah, and then every time you read the book of Jonah, you will see my face. That, that, is, that is the long-term consequences of it. Would you turn in the Word of God to the opening sections, which are Jonah chapter 1, um, chapter 1, 1 through 3. Hear the Word of the Lord. Now the, Lord, the Word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise. Go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. If I was to ask you what the book, oh, sorry, let me, let me pray first. Father, we do pray that you would open our hearts and open our minds. If needs be, soften our hearts and soften, oh Lord, our minds and give us understanding and uh, open up your word to us by the power of the Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If I was to ask you what the book of Jonah is about, and I think you all know how the normal response would be, it would be, it would be a book about a fish. And that's where many people would begin and normally almost end their thinking on the book of Jonah. But as we look at the book of Jonah, as I hope you will look at the book of Jonah on your own, the book of Jonah is one of these mighty books in the Old Testament, filled with deep theology, filled with incredible practical things for us to take away and study. It deals with absolutely fundamental points as we get into it. We're going to see this. It deals with this whole idea of obedience. Jonah owes his God obedience. It deals with the reality of sin in Jonah and in a believer's life. The realities of sin. It deals with the covenant. One of the things we're going to see is, is Jonah is in covenant with God. And therefore, one of the wonders of the book of Jonah is though he is a disobedient son, he is not cast out. He's not cast out. He is a son, and, and sons can be disobedient. Sons are disobedient. Sons learn the obedience um, to follow in the ways of God. And God is faithful. God is faithful. And he's sovereign. Not only is he faithful, he is able and willing and powerful enough that he can accomplish what he wants to do. And if you go through the book of Jonah, Jonah does not want to preach to certain people. Do you know what? He ends up preaching to them. And he ends up preaching to others whom he never even thought that he would be preaching to. And they turn and they worship God. It's about repentance. 
it's a call to Jonah for his repentance. And it's also the, one of the great statements of repentance is found in, in Jonah chapter 3. The Ninevites repented. The Ninevites repented. And it's about missions. Who's the greatest missionary in the Old Testament? Interesting, interesting thought. Many of the prophets prophesied about the nations, but mostly they spent their time speaking to Israel, didn't they? The only one who prophesied, or one of the few who prophesies about the nations is Nahum. But Jonah's the only one who was sent to the nations in the whole of the Old Testament. And ultimately, and this is the final part, there's something unique about Jonah. With all his sin, with all his failures with all his weakness, with all his disobedience, he is the only one where Jesus says, the sign of Jonah will be applied to me. Isn't that interesting? The sign of Jonah will be applied to him. He's the sign that he gives. He doesn't do that with any other of the prophets. Now these opening verses then set the scene for us. And he is a a prophet in Israel. He's a prophet in Israel with a message to Israel and to the nations. Let me say the very heart of Jonah is found in this next point. The heart of Jonah as you read this. Israel is chosen to be blessed and to be a blessing. They are not just called to be blessed. They are not just called to come into fellowship with the living God. They are called to be blessed and to be a blessing. And that light that God had created in Israel was to, was to shine out and to go to the nations. It was never meant to be kept in one place. Right? Although in the Old Testament, the, the, the power of the Spirit has not yet been fully poured out like it has in the New, Israel is that light. Israel is the place where God is found upon the whole face of the earth. There is nowhere else. She is the light to the nations. And so the nations are to come to her if they are to find the true and the living God. They will not find him anywhere else. They are to come to him. And Jesus makes this very point, doesn't he? He says, the queen of the south, this is in Matthew chapter 12, he says, the queen of the south will rise up in judgment with this generation, that is those that were there, and condemn it, For she came from the ends of the earth. She came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And one greater than Solomon is here. And and so the nations to the ends of the earth, the Ninevites, the sailors, are to come. Are to come. And we see this, don't we? We see Ruth and we see Rahab and we see these small examples where where the gospel is calling those who are outside into Israel. But Israel hasn't learned. Israel is not thinking like that. They love to be blessed. And here we get to the root of the problem with Jonah. They don't want the nations around them to find the blessings of God. They don't want those who do not know to find those blessings. And so is the great exception to the rule that the nations are to come in, Jonah is sent out. And it's a trigger. 
It's a deliberate action by God. He is reminding Israel. He's the only one of the prophets who is sent out in this particular way. That Israel has a responsibility. That she has a responsibility to those around her. She must bear witness to be a faithful witness. And of course, ultimately, it's going to point us to the Lord Jesus Christ. I hope you've thought about this. It's an interesting thing with Jonah. Jonah goes, of course, he's disobedience, and what does disobedience earn us? It earns us death, doesn't it? Disobedience to the God of heaven and earth earns us death. And so Jonah, he is chastened, he is not given over to death, he is chastened, he is sent down, he is literally in the waters, he he dies, and I'm putting it in quotes, right? He's buried in the fish for three days. The fish is not his death. The fish is his salvation, by the way. Sometimes salvation can be done in very hard ways, can't it? And then he is spat out, and he has a resurrection moment, doesn't he, in a sense? And then what does he do? He preaches to the nations. And that's part of the sign of the Lord Jesus Christ, isn't it? He comes to the lost sheep of Israel... But he does truly give his life for Israel. He gives his life in obedience and in sacrifice. He dies, he's buried, he rises again, and on the third day he is there and he is triumphant. And then what does he tell his church? Go. Go out to the nations. Go and claim the things. And that's part of that wonderful sign of Jonah. So let's stop for a minute. And let's remind ourselves. Jonah's attitude is what's at stake here. Jonah's attitude, his heart, the way he he did not want to go and preach the gospel. Now you can discuss why exactly. But the bottom line is he didn't want to go. And shouldn't that challenge us as a church and as a people of God in the New Testament? Shouldn't that challenge us and, and make us ask that question of ourselves? Do we have a love for the lost? Or are we happy to hold things where they are and keep things where they are? Are we happy to be spent and be spent? Do do we keep at the focal point of our mind, not that God's love is just for the people here or the people at Covenant or, or for the people at Christ Presbyterian Church or Katy Church, but his love is wider and greater than that. And he has many sheep which have not yet been brought in. This is the great job of the church, right? To bring in the sheep. That ever, ever love of God, which is, which is right at the heart again of the book of Jonah. The love of God for the lost. Is there complacency? Have we forgotten these things? Do we not think, if, if they will turn, two things will happen. And you're all good Presbyterians, so you know the answer to these things. Two things will happen. They will glorify God, and they will be blessed and be able to enjoy him forever. So that's the challenge to us as we look at Jonah Now, the words here are in front of you, and we're going to go through them line by line because there are a number of things that we need to deal with. The first thing is the word of the Lord came, right? The word of the Lord came. This is a prophetic formula. You get this uh, throughout the Old Testament, right? Jonah is a prophet. He is called by God. He is spoken to by God, and he is to speak 
God's word. He is to go to this extremely wicked nation. And what is he to do when he gets there? What is he to do? What is his focus? He's got a mighty work to do, hasn't he? He's been called to go somewhere. He's traveling a long way. It's at least 600 miles or so. Forget where he's going and where he needs to go. It's a big job. He's got to actually bring a message of judgment to them. And he does it through the word. He does it through the word. And, and brethren, I know, I know this church, uh, I know you, and, and just a reminder that no matter how big the task, how difficult things might look, and, and we sometimes want crutches of other things, don't we? But it's the word of God. It's simply speaking the word of God. The power of the word, all right? We have this scripture, the very breath of God. We are to search the scriptures. We are to find the mind and the will of God. And then what are we to do for others? Just, just speak them the word. Just, just bring that word of God to them. And it seems at one level so impotent, doesn't it? If you want to invade another country, well, we've got an example of it right now, don't we? What do you do? You come in with tanks, you come in with guns, you come in with aeroplanes, you come in with helicopters, and you bring them into submission. That's how the world works, isn't it? Right? That's how power is exercised. But that can't change the heart, can it? it? It can win temporary allegiance at the barrel of a gun. And here's the thing, and we look at that and we think, that's power. And the word of God says, no, it's not power because it doesn't change the heart. Right? What changes the heart is the word of God and the spirit of God. And that change is permanent. It's a permanent change. And it is powerful. It is powerful. And so what looks to our eyes to be something which is weak, speak the word of God. Go and speak to your neighbors. Just, just speak to them. Bring them the word of God. Apply the word of God. Go and do great things in great places. I, I, you know, I wish all, all, all would. In the word, in the word of God. See, that's what Paul says, doesn't he? He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Because it is the power of God unto salvation. And it is the only thing that can and will bring lasting change. The only thing that can and will bring Lasting change. So the word of the Lord came. That word in your Bibles would be probably a capital. If you look, that word for Lord there would probably be a capital in your Bibles. And and the reason for having different words for that is because God's name is described in various ways, right? And and the, the, the term Lord there is Yahweh. The covenant name for God. Names, as you know, and I, I know you know this, they have meaning, they are summary, and they get to the core of what God wants us to understand about himself. And so he uses the covenant name for God. Now, why does he use that name and not another name? Because he's asserting his lordship. He's asserting his lordship over the nations, over Nineveh. He's asserting his lordship over the, prom- uh, over the prophet. Uh, He's asserting the fact that that the covenant is is offering and he's calling Jonah to covenant obedience. That covenant is the way he binds himself to us. Fully, completely. And one of the wonders of Jonah is what do you see in Jonah? You see a man who is in full, frankly, in disobedience. And what 
what is one of the reasons, one of the reasons why God keeps him? Because he has a covenant with him. Because he will not forsake his covenant with Jonah. And when Jonah bucks, when Jonah runs, when Jonah runs from the living God and and really ends up in the place of death, he appeals to God's covenant. Right? He calls upon God and appeals to God's covenant. And, 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 And God is faithful. God is faithful, right? One of the great themes of Jonah is the covenantal pursuit of God of his prophet. Covenantal pursuit of a man who has hardened his heart. In fact, Jonah's a hard man. Jonah's a really hard man. In fact, I, I, I wonder in Scripture if there can't be very many who have harder hearts than Jonah. And yet God pursues him. And yet God keeps him. And yet that covenant will not be broken. And he will chasten Jonah. But he will not abandon him. He will chasten him, but he will not abandon him. Now, he is told then, the specific command is, arise and go to Nineveh. Just to remind you, because many people might not know, Nineveh is on the Tigris River. As I said, it's about 600 miles away over land. Large and prosperous city at the time. Uh, it It was not yet the capital city of Syria, but it would become, later on, it would become the capital city of Assyria. It's where Mosul is. If you want to type it in, you'll find out where Mosul is. And this is a new ministry. And one of the things we need to understand about Jonah, this is extremely important to remember, Jonah had had a ministry in Israel before. This is his first time out. He had had, if you look at Kings, and we'll get to the reference later, if you look at the book of Kings, he had been in Israel. He had been a successful prophet in Israel. So this is a new work, a new challenge, and with it, God exposes new sin. And he exposes sin in his prophet that I think his prophet didn't even know was there himself. It's a new work, a new challenge, a new phase. And God is going to expose sin and use this to teach his prophet new things about God himself and about Jonah. Now this was a new ministry and a big task. But the reason given is that their wickedness had come up before me. Their wickedness had come up before me. If you want to define Nineveh, it is a a wicked city par excellence. That's what defines the city. Now that phrase, actually, their wickedness has come up before me, comes up twice before in the Old Testament. It's a parallel. It echoes the world in the time of Noah before the flood which was filled of wickedness and violence. Nineveh is like that world that was before the flood. And it's the wickedness of of Sodom and Gomorrah. The words, it's interesting. And the Lord said, and this is about Sodom and Gomorrah, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grave, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry against it that has come to me. And if not... I will know. That outcry, it's the same idea. The outcry has come up before the Lord. And God sees, right? God sees. His eyes move from place to place. Right? He knows the world that he's created. He's intimately connected with it. And sometimes we think, well, maybe he's forgotten. 
maybe, maybe he doesn't see the wickedness which is around. He sees. He sees. He has not forgotten. Isn't that the temptation that was brought that Peter deals with in 2 Peter? Where he says, people say, oh, these things have been going on forever. They'll, they'll keep going on forever. God, God doesn't see. No, 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 no. God sees. And at the time, at the time that he chooses, in his power and his wisdom, he will deal with wickedness. He will deal with wickedness. But again, here, he deals with it in grace. He deals with it in grace. I was speaking to one of my students. In fact, it was only yesterday morning. They were in Zimbabwe, and we were doing a, a, a Zoom call, and we were going through the book of Jonah. And one of my students said, well, why did he not send mercy to Sodom and Gomorrah, but he does send it to Nineveh? Is that not the sovereign work of God? He sees the wickedness. He knows that he will come in judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah, and he will spare Nineveh. Sovereign, wise, powerful mercies of God. See, the wicked are here, but God is powerful enough to overcome the wicked. Take take courage. Take confidence when you see what looks like wickedness abounding, because it has been worse, and it may well get a lot worse. God is powerful enough to deal with the Ninevites. He's powerful enough to deal with Sodom and Gomorrah. He's powerful enough to deal with the world before the flood. And they do owe him obedience. They do owe him obedience. And the wonderful thing is here is Jonah is sent to claim that obedience. No matter how wicked, no matter how dangerous, no matter how uh, obnoxious, Jonah is sent out to claim their Obedience. See, this is part of the fruit of the victory of the Lord Jesus Christ in giving himself in his obedience, in his giving himself over to death. He earned the right to claim the nations as his own. Now, as God, he had the right over the nations. But as the mediator, he earned the right to claim the nations. He says, ask of me and I shall give you the nations as your heritage. Ask of me, and I will give you the ends of the earth as your possession. And so the Lord Jesus comes, that was Psalm 2. And the Lord Jesus comes to the Father and says, give me my inheritance. Give me these wicked, broken, sinful, obnoxious people. Give them to me, and I will make them into trophies of grace. And I will change them, and they will sing your praises, and they will sing my praises. They are my inheritance. And isn't this the problem? If Jonah does not want to extend grace to them, it's because he's forgotten where he came from. Right? He's forgotten where he came from. If we don't wish to extend grace in the same way, it's because we've forgotten where we have come from. And this is a call to Jonah. And Jonah, as one of the prophets in Israel, stands for Israel, right? He's like a representative in Israel. And so it's a call to Jonah and it's a call to Israel. Remember where you came from. Earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof and all the nations 
are before him. Now this command then comes, and, and it's a great command. It says, arise, right? Get up. Get up. Jonah, get up and go on this mission. And then we read, but, right? But Jonah arose. He did arise. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish. To flee for Tarshish. And God really wants us to recognize that this is full-fledged disobedience. He's not going to allow, not just the but, but he keeps saying Tarshish, Tarshish, Tarshish. Why? Because Tarshish is not Nineveh. He keeps repeating that in this passage. Arise and go. And Jonah arises and he flees. And he flees. And notice, look, arise, come, right? We, we, we have this in our minds. Look, a man stands to serve, right? You stand to serve. You, you come up the front and you serve. And look at this passage. It keeps saying down. He goes down to Joppa to go get the ship. And you know, a little bit later, if you keep reading that this section, he goes down into the ship. He's not going up. He's going down. And then he will say he's going to go down when he says, throw me over the side. And then he's going to go down, and it says, to the deepest parts of the sea. Either we arise to serve, or we go down. It's very physical. I love the Hebrew, right? It's very straightforward. Either we arise to serve and to stand before our God, or we set a course where we begin to go down. And we go down. And we go down. He's running from God. He's running from the presence of God. He's running from the blessings of God. He does not want to go to Nineveh. And so he chooses this place, Tarshish. Now you might say, well, where is Tarshish? Uh, we're not entirely sure. Uh, one of my students was in southern Spain. And as we were driving past an old Roman, uh, Roman ruin, he said, see that Roman ruin over there? He said that was based on a Phoenician settlement called Tarshish. Right? And it may well be that that was the original Tarshish. Isaiah says this in Isaiah 66, 19. And I will set up amongst them, sorry, and I will set a sign amongst them. And I will send those that escaped to, um, of them unto the nations, to Tarshish, to Pol, to Lud, and the draw, the bow, to Tubal, and to Jabin, to the isles afar off that have not heard my fame, neither have they seen my glory. Isn't that interesting? Tarshish is a place which did not know the glory of God, that had not seen the fame of God, and Jonah is choosing to go there. Jonah is choosing to go there. He is determined, determined to flee. Now, we don't actually have any of his, his motivations at this point, but, but his actions, right, our actions show our hearts. Our actions show our hearts, right? And that, that physical running, 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 saying, I will not serve, I will not serve, I will not go. Doesn't it show you the state? Something is wrong with Jonah's heart. Something is deeply, deeply wrong with his heart. A couple of things. One, obviously we are to look at our hearts. Uh, secondly, we are not to say, you cannot judge me, you don't know my heart. I don't know your hearts, brother. But I see actions. 
And God, I, I can judge certain things based on, on actions. You know, a good tree brings forth good fruit. A bad tree will bring forth bad fruit. Don't, don't say, oh, I, I'm spiritual, I know, I, I trust, I'm loving, I'm gentle. I'm all the things that, that we would like to be seen and that the Bible encourages us to be if that isn't what's actually manifesting. Right? A good tree will bring forth good fruit. And while we might not know the heart, clearly God does. God does. And he sets up circumstances where the heart is exposed. Right? He sets up circumstances. He set up this circumstances with Jonah. The heart is going to be exposed, Jonah. There's no ways you're getting out of this. There's something that you may not even have known about yourself, Jonah. He was a prophet in Israel. He had a successful ministry for many, many years before this. He might not even have known this about his own heart. And now in the fullness of time, God will put his finger and say, Jonah, now we're going to deal with something that you might not even have known about yourself. And I'm going to put something in your life which brings something latent and hidden and exposes it because our God knows the heart. And God is faithful, right? So if he's doing this, it's because he's faithful. Because there's something that needs to be dealt with. So Jonah goes. uh, He spends his money to go, just jokingly, just jokingly. Uh, Sin costs money, right? And let me just say this, Isaiah 55. Why do you spend your money on what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good. And let your soul delight itself in abundance. Right? There is an abundance and a fullness which is not, not dependent upon bread and not dependent upon the things that we see and feel and touch, but on the living God. Listen carefully to me and eat what is good. Jonah, eat what is good, Jonah. And there will be a soul delight in the abundance of the provision of our God. But instead, Jonah arises. And we see he flees. And look, this, this, there's, a, there's a clause there that if you look carefully, it's repeated from the presence of the Lord. Jonah is fleeing from the presence of the Lord. Now, this is interesting. I mean, let me ask you from a theological point of view. Can we, can we flee from the presence of God? Is there any place that we can go at one level? Is there any place that we can go where God will not find you? And you know this. I mean, you, you are all well taught. So Psalm 139, who can, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee, says David, from your presence? If I ascend into the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. There is no place where we can go. And this, of course, is a psalm of comfort. And Jonah would have known the psalm. So so for for comfort, let's, let's start there. There is no place where we are outside the presence and the glory of our God. There's no place where his hand cannot lead you. 
and your right hand shall not hold me. And I want you to think ahead in Jonah for a second. Where does Jonah end up? At the bottom of the sea. If there is a place where God can't get you, it's there. And yet God got Jonah there, didn't he? And God called Jonah and his hand stretched out and he held Jonah. And he saved him through that incredible work of sending the fish. There is no place. Now Jonah would have known this. And yet what is interesting is he still tries to run. And we read this, he went out from the Lord's presence. Now, again, it's one of those clauses where if you do a little bit of work, you find out what's really going on. From the presence of the Lord is mentioned in Genesis 4.16. Who went out from the Lord's presence back in Genesis 4.16? Cain. Cain went out in Genesis 4.16. And he was a rebel, wasn't he? And he was a fugitive. He went out because he was no longer in the service or in the favor of God. To to be in the presence of God in this sense, in the sense that it's being used here in Jonah, is to be in the service or in the favor of God. You see that link when we start to run in disobedience, when we turn away from the calling and from the word of God on our lives? What, what, What is the consequence We move from the presence and the favor of the Lord to the place of judgment, the place of rebellion. Remember what it says, for rebellion is the sin of divination and presumption is as the iniquity and idolatry. And he says this, Samuel says this, because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you from being king. He says that. What a terrible indictment. Instead of standing and serving and arising and doing great things for the Lord, Jonah's doing the reverse. He's, trying to, he's away from the place of favor and blessing and the presence of God, and he's acting like Cain. He's acting like Cain. There is that relationship, isn't there, between the obedience in God and the presence of God. The obedience to God, even when we do not wish to be obedient, even when something comes up where it's going to be difficult and sinful, maybe, or or it's challenging us about sin and difficulties in our life, there is a relationship between our obedience and standing in the presence and in the favor of God. And don't substitute for something less. Don't be like Jonah, right? Don't be like Jonah. Sin separates us from God's favor and blessing. And you can see, if you look through and you think about Jonah, Jonah's one of these great examples where you see the consequences. There's a little bit of separation. He's running to the ship. Then there's a little bit more separation. He's in the waters traveling. Then there's a little bit more separation. Not the separation that Jonah wanted at this stage, because sin is uncontrollable once it starts. And he's over the side. Sin leads to separation. And then Jonah is separated even more as he's going down to the place of death. And he says, it's like the bars of death were over my head. Sin has that horrible way of taking one step 
then another step, then another step. And unless that chain is broken, it leads to death. It leads to death. But if if sin and separation, I want to encourage you here for a moment. If sin and separation leads to death, isn't that what the Lord Jesus Christ did for us? We're coming to the Lord's table, right? He separated himself. He gave himself up. And he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He gave himself fully. He took the separation, not for his sin, but for our sin, upon himself, that you might not be separated. He took the separation upon himself that Jonah's sin might not fall upon Jonah's head. He gives himself freely and voluntarily. To be separated unto the point of death. Death upon a cross. This is my body broken. This is my blood shed for you. This is what it is. Christ is separated from the, the, the comforts, the goodness, the mercy of God. So that you will never have to experience that. You will never have to go to that place. Where you are cast into outer darkness. Right, where the worm is not quenched and the fires of conscience go on forever. Jonah's on the run. Could be a short book, couldn't it? God said, I will see you in the place of judgment. But as we read the rest of the book, and I just want to highlight some things which we're going to see, we're going to see this great thing that if you're a son of God, yes, he will chasten you. But he will not abandon you. If you are a son of God, as I said to you, this is one of the great themes of Jonah. Yes, he will chasten you, but he will not abandon you. He doesn't abandon Jonah. Willful rebellion, willful disobedience, no love for his neighbor, a desire to keep the blessings to himself, an inward focus, which is all about himself, God says, I will not let you go, Jonah. I'm going to deal with you. And you can go to this disobedience, and you will find in your disobedience there is pain and there is suffering because you have chosen the way of disobedience. But I will deliver you there. And I will bring you out. And I will keep you. And I will call you again, Jonah. And I will keep calling you. We can be justified and part of our gospel is this isn't it we can be justified by faith and yet we can still sin we can still turn away the westminster confession of faith in in number 11 5 says god does continue to forgive the sins of those who are justified and although they can never fall from the state of justification yet they may by their sins fall under god's fatherly displeasure This is what's happening in the book of Jonah. A man is falling under the God's fatherly displeasure and may not have the light of his countenance restored unto them. And if you want to see what that looks like, it's what you look like when you're going down, down, down. You've left the ship. You're going down, down. You're at the bottom of the ocean. And may not have the light of his countenance restored unto them until they humble themselves. Confess their sins, beg pardon, 
and renew their faith and repentance. If you are in this situation, brethren, this is what we're told. You will not have the light of his countenance. You will not arise and serve. You will not be in the place of service and blessing. You cannot be in the place of service and death. But if you will humble yourself, if you will confess your sins, if you will beg pardon, he will renew their faith and repentance. One of the things we do with the table is we fence the table. I'm going to do it very quickly. I'm actually going to do it now. Right? If you are like Jonah and in disobedience and running from the presence of the Lord, don't come to the table. You will bring your sin and you will bring stand before God in judgment. If you are coming and you have now humbled your heart, if you are in that place and you are humbling your heart and saying, Lord, help me, because I realize my heart has been hard and I have turned away and I want to come, then come to the table because it is a place of grace. It is a place where you will find Christ, you will find his mercy. And Jonah says, I look to your tabernacle, I look to your holy hill, and I found you there. But God does not abandon his own. He may judge them. And then the other thing, as I've already mentioned, there is a sanctification gap in all of us. Right? There is a sanctification, but thank God for the work of Christ by which you may eat and sit and drink at his table. You may enter into his very presence in his righteousness. And you know that as you sit there, there is sin in your life. And there are areas in your life that you know you need to work on. And there are areas in your life that you know that are exposed from time to time. And you go, Lord, I've, I've done it again. Lord, I've turned aside again. There is a sanctification gap in all of us. And yet God is faithful. God is faithful. We come in the name of Christ. We come in the way of Christ. We come in the, 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 the way that he has made open through his blood into that heavenly realm. And say, Lord, help me to deal with these things. Because, brethren, let's, let's come to him quickly. Right? Don't, don't be like Jonah. Come to him quickly. Run to him quickly. Because the alternative is to harden your heart like Jonah. And the consequences are terrible. You know, I love the, the, the story about the fish. And, and if we get there, we'll talk about it a bit more. But, you know, the fish has a simple life in the book of Jonah. It swims in. It swims out. Two verses in the whole of the book of Jonah. It's a simple life because it's an obedient life, right? It does what God says it to do. Jonah is disobedient and he makes his life awfully complicated. Right? Makes his life awfully complicated. But the wonder of Jonah is God does put his finger at the right time on the thing that needs to be exposed. God doesn't sanctify us all at once. If he would bring all our sins to fruition at that one moment, would it not overwhelm us? We wouldn't know what to do with it. But he puts his fingers on things from time to time and exposes things from time to time. Final point that I want to make is God uses wicked, sinful men to spread his words. This is Jonah. By the time we're finished with Jonah, he is not a pretty picture. But neither are I. We aren't either, are we? God uses wicked and sinful men like Jonah. What a mystery it is. What an encouragement it should be. And let us be strong then and bold just to speak the word of God. It is the word of God that brought Nineveh to its knees. Right? 
Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be destroyed. And that wicked city, as bad as Sodom and Gomorrah, as bad as the world before, was humbled. Now that's something you can do, isn't it? You can speak the word of God. And if God will bless that, he will use wicked, sinful men to spread his word and his gospel. Let's pray.